You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 118. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Rick Mafina, who is a former journalist whose uh, true crime freelance work has appeared in the New York Times, The Telegraph, Reader's Digest, amongst many other publications. He's written more than 20 crime fiction thrillers that have been published in nearly 30 countries, including an illegal translation produced in Iran, which we'll get into during this in, in this interview. It's a fascinating story. His work has been praised by James Patterson, Dean Koontz, Michael Connolly, Lee Child, Sandra Brown, Tess Gerritsen, and Brad Thor, among others. And his uh, book, Missing Daughter, just won the 2020 Barry Award for Best Paperback Original Mystery Crime Novel. This uh, was just recently now the awards that were announced uh, this weekend at the uh, virtual uh, ButcherCon 2020 conference. I had a great time talking to Rick about his amazing career, so stay tuned for that interview coming right up. Uh, just a heads up of my new Patreon. It's a great way to keep this uh, podcast going. If you head on over to thrillingreads.com forward slash support, you'll get to check that out. I put together some uh, pretty cool re- rewards for supporters, especially if you're a thriller writer or aspiring writer. So head on over to thrillingreads.com forward slash support and go check that out. All right, here is my interview with uh, Rick Mofina. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on the phone, I have uh, Rick Mofina, who is a former crime reporter and an award-winning author of several acclaimed thrillers. I'm excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Rick. Thanks for having me, Alan. Uh, you were a journalist for many years. Um, when did you make that transition from reporting about true crime to writing crime fiction? And what was the transition like for you? Well, um, it was a smooth one, you might say. I had been writing creatively all my life, ever since I was in grade school. And I actually went to university to study journalism to sort of broaden my horizons, actually to, to gather experience that I might use later uh, for creative fiction. So um, it wasn't until I was on the night desk, uh, the night police desk, that everything gelled. I found something that I should write about, um, and it all came together. So I quietly, without telling anyone, I mean, my wife knew, but I worked away on a book uh, for several years and then, um, you know, found an agent and uh, got published, and I was lucky. Oh, wow, yeah, that's awesome. So your first, the first book that you, you sat down to write, uh, you, you were able to get that published, huh? Well, no, no, actually, no, we better back it up. Uh, the first book I wrote, I think I was, uh, geez, I was 18 at the time. I hitchhiked, uh, you know, across Canada and down the west coast of the U.S. to uh, San Francisco, coincidentally. And um, I wrote a book about that, a kind of a Jack Kerouac on the road. I mean, I was only 18, <laughs> typed the thing up, uh, and uh, it's, it. It will never see the light of day, but it was it, it allowed me to, to to see I could go the distance. I mean, it was a it was a full novel, you know, pretty much uh, a memoir of the trip. But uh, it was fun. My, I let my brother read it, and he just <laughs> and he was younger than me. He just said, "You're weird." So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's how I found out about your work. Was uh, I remember a couple of years ago seeing your uh, one of your covers, and it was the I saw the Golden Gate Bridge, and since I live in San Francisco. I got it, and I really enjoyed your Tom Reed series uh, of books set, set in San Francisco with a crime reporter. And uh, so you you were a crime reporter. Is that, did your personality make it into Tom Reed? <laughs> oh well, you know, I think there's a little bit of everybody and everything in in Tom Reed. I was quite lucky with that series because um, when I was writing my first book, uh, I had originally set it in Canada, and I was halfway through the draft and stopped because I was sort of got self 
full of self-doubt, but I was fortunate enough to get it to a, an editor who, who just suggested, in New York who, who just suggested I reset it in the U.S. And at that time, I had just come back from an assignment in San Francisco, a crime assignment, met a detective there, and I asked him if he would be my technical advisor if I recast, relocated my book to San Francisco. Um, and, um, and back then, it was pre-internet, I um, got weekend copies of The Examiner and The Chronicle at our local library, uh, poured through them, so that was sort of, you know, had the feel for the city from my visits, and then uh, I had I had the good fortune for uh, a homicide inspector with the San Francisco PD who was the technical advisor on all five books. It was great. Okay, wow, that's fascinating. So yeah, so that, that's got to be like what you said your, your your journalism training that that you knew how to do all that stuff. Because yeah, I remember reading it. I, I didn't. I was surprised when I found out that you were Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I, I I got I got dinged by a few people um, over the life of the series, and it's still out there. Um, one person said that in one of the communities, I had the um, the rent a little lower than it would have normally been at the time, and I thought, well, you're getting very technical. I think I did say he did get an amazing find at an amazing rate, but I guess that wasn't qual- enough of a qualifier, so um, I just chuckled at that. And then when I created a fictional community, my detective guy, he called. He said, we're looking through all the maps here, Rick. We can't find that neighborhood. I couldn't stop laughing. I said, well, I made that one up, Ed. I, I couldn't use a real one for, for that particular <laughs> series. <laughs> oh yeah well yeah well boy we have readers really get get, get nitpicky uh, uh nowadays about little about things like that uh, about the rent and it's just so funny that's such a small detail <laughs> you name it uh you name it i've been called on it so it's it's, it's <laughs> every author i think we all get that so yeah yeah and so what's your latest book out now is that the is is the their last secret or is that your, your latest book that's been published yes. Yes, their last secret came out basically, uh, it was an August book, and uh, up here it's uh, still, I think, uh, six weeks on the bestseller list up here. Um, so yeah, that's the latest one, standalone thriller, and I've got, I've got the proof pages for the one that's coming out in March, um, and that one um, is set in um, San Diego and Nevada near uh, Las Vegas, sort of. Uh, about a family that travels across the uh, country on uh, Interstate 15. They're on their way. Uh, they're moving to Pennsylvania, and they take an RV trip, and um, their teenage daughter uh, goes missing when they stop at a truck stop just south of uh, Las Vegas. Hmm. Are those, is that also, are those uh, standalones that you're working on now, or are they part of a, one of your series? That's, that's right. Um, it seems to be the desire of the publishers are standalone domestic thrillers, and uh, I don't mind writing them. I have a lot of fun doing that, and uh, so and we've been doing pretty well. I think uh, one of the previous books, Missing Daughter, made the USA Today list. I was quite pleased with that. Um, so uh, yeah, that's where I'm going now. I am quietly working on uh, a little project of my own, uh, a trilogy with a reporter series that um, I will bring out myself. They're going to be short novels. Um, I've finished two of them already, and I'm just starting to uh, uh, outline and map the third, and there will only be three books in the series. So I'm looking forward to um, to releasing that far and wide. As uh, long as they're, um, they're shorter, the publisher doesn't mind. Um, you know, you've got to uh, respect the contracts that you've signed to. You can't be writing other books uh, uh, and that compete with yourself, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, boy, you're and you're really prolific. Have you written? Like, I think you have over twenty books out now, or is that 
Yeah, almost closer to 30, uh, considering the ones that are done that haven't been released um, and others in, in development. Um, so I would say close to 30 books. And so what's, your, what's, so what's your process? So from the time that you get an idea and then you start, you sit down to start to writing it and then, uh, then it gets published, like what's, what's that process for like, like for you? Well, my process evolved a little bit. I have to say that um, in the early days, before you were published, you had lots of time to ponder ideas. And then uh, when you start to get uh, the good fortune of uh, getting contracts, um, things ramp up a little bit. So my process is um, you kick around an idea, and I like to draw on something real, something that I feel as a foundation, as a seed, um, and then build on that. Uh, so... Uh, in my case, a publisher likes an outline. Um, the length is up to me for the outline. I've had them seven pages. I've had them sixty pages. So I think about the book. I um, again, I you know, you get the researching a little bit, uh, drawing on your own experiences. So you sort of build up uh, and map out a story uh, as to uh, like a blueprint for a story, and that takes that could take a long time because you have some ideas that are always with you, and you is it time for this one? Is it time for that one? Or then I come across something that just Go, that just uh, sparks my interest. Well, what about this? What you know, in real life or something, or a memory, anything. Uh, we're always drawing. I think all of all authors are drawing from everything. So then I sort of outline the thing and discuss it with my agent and my editor. You know, I, I draw on their input, um, and then uh, it's usually accepted, and uh, you know, I'm contracted, uh, and off I go. And I and I, I might expand it. Um, the outline. Um, may take a different shape, you know, once once it sort of comes to life. Uh, and it takes me, on average, five to eight months to draft, uh, to complete the first draft. I work every day. I don't go on word counts. It's just working, just putting in the work. Even if I have a bad day and I'm making a couple notes and just sitting there, or if I have a great day and I'm, uh, I'm banging out a whole chapter or two, um, that's fine, too. Just... You're always in the work, always, as I tell my wife, you just keep the factory humming, um, and, and things, you know, things get done. They have to get done. Yeah, well, yeah, especially if you have those deadlines and contracts uh, looming, I guess that gets you, uh, <laughs> keeps you on track, I, I would imagine. <laughs> I always say uh, when we're on panels or something at conferences, um, that, that what's your inspiration, or do you ever get writers, and I said, well, when I used to get writer's block, or I thought I didn't feel like where I would pull out the contract, and when you look at those legal terms that the author will deliver on this date, I said, that's, that's good inspiration when you're contracted to get to work. So, so um, I think it was uh, my uh, friend, uh, Linwood Barclays, this is like a, plum, a plumber, you show up for the job. <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I've interviewed a lot of uh, writers on this uh, podcast, and that's what they say, that it's, it's, it's their job, you know, you you put in your time, you go you show up to work, and <laughs> so, yeah. It, it, it's, it's fascinating, too, you, you mentioned earlier about the uh, writing the domestic uh, thrillers, and I keep seeing that, that subgenre seems to be so popular right now. What exactly is a domestic thriller? Well, you know, I don't know if I can actually define it, um, but um, I guess for me it would be, you know, uh, it's contemporary in terms of the time setting. It probably in involves, you know, people who live in a suburban community, a part of a metropolis, I think, uh, that kind of thing, some type of family dynamic of some sort, you know, that's the domestic part of it, and, uh, and what can go wrong. Um, you know, a lot of things can go wrong, but I think that, that pretty much defines 
that particular subgenre. I know with the um, with the reporting, uh, the reporter books that I wrote, and I've written quite a few. Um, uh, it enabled me to do a lot of stuff. I I got a little more adventurous and kind of Jason Bourne like in some of the storylines. Um, they, you could say, in some cases there were there were elements of a domestic thriller in those as well. But I think coming back to your question, that uh, domestic thriller is uh, involves family, I think relationships, uh, you know, that that sort of thing, where things just go wrong, uh, something you know originating out of the home, as it were, or um, invading the home or threatening the home. That the usual uh, plot lines. And you still do. do um how much research do you, are you putting into your to your books? Is that still do you still falling back on your your journalist uh, training to do the proper vetting and research and all that, or how does that how's that going for you now? Well, it's evolved for me. I think I think when I uh, I I wrote oh I don't know maybe at least nine eight or nine books. Well, no, maybe more uh, ten books when I was reporting, um, and then. Um, when I was not reporting, I would draw on trips, and that's yeah. I would put it in the research. If um, if I went to conferences in a city, and I think a lot of a lot of us did the same thing, I would take a little side trip and and sponge up whatever I could in terms of locale and and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, what's the 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 story, the plot of your latest book on their on their last secret? Their last secret uh, is a book. Uh, for the first time, I really jumped back and forth with the two timelines. Uh, it opens with a crime 20 years ago, and then it jumps a crime in Canada 20 years ago, and then it jumps to present-day uh, California, uh, sort of the Orange County, San Bernardino area of California. Uh, that storyline concerns um, uh, a homicide um, uh, multiple homicides in a very small, forgotten community, a fictional community on the prairies, the plains, you know, uh, where these three girls who are just just turned 14, they're bored out of their mind, they grew up in this town, they know everything about this town, there's nothing to do here, and they get caught up, and they're from rough families. They got, you know, uh, Their lives, even at 14, have not been easy. Uh, broken homes, uh, deaths in their families, that sort of thing, um, some abuse and that. So they, these three girls form an alliance where they um, are going to go into the home of a very wealthy local family and take the money they believe is owed one of them. And, uh, of course, there's a terrible tragedy, and there's a homicide. And we follow the homicide and um, the trial, jump to present day, because the girls of their age, um, their identities were, were changed and concealed. So now that they're all adults and they've served their time and they've been released, they're still relatively young women and um, they're getting on with their lives. So we don't know who's who and we don't know exactly what happened that night, uh, who actually did what. So it builds that way where um, there's a threat against the um, the current uh, one of the current girls who's trying to rebuild her life. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'll have to put that in my uh, uh, to-read pile. <laughs> yeah, I really love your covers, too. Is that uh, Do you have any input on that? Is that, that the publisher doing that? Those are, your, all your covers are really yeah, uh, I, awesome. Yeah, I have. Um, I don't have veto. I know some authors have veto on everything, um, depending on where you are in the food chain. 
But um, I, I do have uh, input, and they come to me first. They say, what are your suggestions? Uh, what are your concept ideas? Send us everything. That's usually how it works. So I, I kick around some ideas and stuff. And then they send something back and say, well, this is what we think. Um, and it's back and forth. But um, their stuff is usually uh, fantastic. Um, well, always fantastic. So sometimes it's exactly what I suggested. And other times they said, hey, you know what? We just had this new idea. What do you think? So it's it's a very collaborative effort. Check it out that you've been published in over uh, your books have been translated and published in nearly thirty countries, which is must be so surreal to see your uh, your book all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I noticed on your website you said that there's an illegal translation in Iran. I didn't realize there was a a market for Western crime thrillers in Iran. How 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 was that to see that? Was that kind of bizarre uh, for you? <laughs> That's a whole, geez, that's a whole episode unto itself. I mean, um, back in the day, you know, I would always, and a lot of people do, I go online, you search everywhere. Oh, I wonder about this book. Search your title, search your book. Search libraries that pick up your book. That's usually, you know, and one day, um, if Angels Fall came up in a library in Western Australia, and it said Farsi edition, and I went to myself, well, that's odd, because we had not sold many of the foreign rights. We own the foreign rights. And I knew for a fact, because I have to sign the contract if there's a foreign edition. We did not sell a Farsi edition. And here, and I thought, that must be some kind of problem with the library, a mistake of some sort. It doesn't exist. Uh, but there was a picture of it, and it had the actual cover, and there was some uh, Farsi or like type of, uh, you know, Arabic type of writing, I guess. Uh, forgive me if I've got that wrong. So I made an intralibrary loan. I don't know if you're familiar with how that's done, where I'm my local library, and you pay the fee for the uh, shipping and the weight, and I wanted to have that book in my hand. And they, there it was. I had it. I had to give it back. I wanted to keep it. Then I started some – I was still reporting, and I started some detective work, and I was angry. Oh, I was livid. And my publisher couldn't do anything about it. My agent said, let it go. It happens. I started tracking things down. I wrote to the library in Australia, where did you buy this book? It's an illegal edition, and blah, 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 blah. And they were a bit un uneasy, and they gave me the names of a, a vendor in Australia who dealt with a vendor in the Bay Area, coincidentally. And, uh, and then I had a friend at the Wall Street Journal, and I had a friend at the uh, L.A. Times, and I said, well, how about this first story? Uh, you know, crime reporter, crime author tracks down this illegal, because there were... Um, uh, certain trade uh, regulations in the U.S. that you could not do this, um, and it just I couldn't prove it, but it seemed that there was some kind of vendor in California was involved in illegal publications uh, to be sent around the world out of Iran. Um, so my friend at the Times and the uh, Wall Street Journal was interested, but we couldn't put things together. We couldn't nail things down, so I sort of let it go. I called a trade international trade lawyer, copyright lawyer. She said, this is what, I'll give you one free session. She said, this is what will happen. We'll contact uh, a lawyer in Tehran. They'll contact the publisher. They'll offer, they'll try to get them to come into court. They'll say they have no money. You'll have to pay the lawyer in Tehran. You'll have to pay us, and you won't get anything. So, oh, nice. you know, it's hard to enforce. And they, they were doing knockoffs, just like everyone around the world, of everything Western. There was a, that's what I'd learned. There was a appetite for things Western in Iran especially by a young demographic. So books, movies, everything, TVs, watches, you name it. Um, so I just took it as a badge of honor then. So. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm well aware of the whole pirating and stuff, but that, that's a whole production, like to actually translate your book. And then, I mean, that's like a whole underground oh, publishing yeah. business. <laughs> 
oh yeah, they did a nice job. It was a beautiful volume, and I thought I should have just kept it. Like I, but I was indebted then to the libraries. It was the whole thing. I love libraries, and I yeah. thought, well, I couldn't say I lost. Yeah. Fucking give them. Eighty dollars. That was what I was going to do. Say I lost the book and just keep and give them eighty bucks for it because yeah. I wanted that copy and now and I tried to get it back years later. I thought I'll just buy it. I I just want to keep it because it was a beautiful edition. Um, and you know the way they that Golden Gates on there from the first cover the same like it was it was great. And in the end, you know my I, I laughed it all off. I mean my anger just melted because I realized and I met other authors. I think there was a guy at uh, the International Thriller Writers Conference. He was getting calls and notes or that he was a bestseller in Argentina or something. And, and again, it was on the list, and it was a pirated copy. They'd never sold the rights, and someone produced it. And not only did they sell it well, it was on the bestseller list. <laughs> and he was getting nothing. It was just like, I got nothing for my book. So that was that's just the way it goes. So. Yeah, so, so, many, so many scams and stuff out there. Just, uh, <laughs> it makes it kind of frustrating, but uh, you know, what, what can you do? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and so, do you do you miss being a journalist at all, or is just that you're having too much fun uh, uh, as a novelist? <laughs> oh, when I think back to all the fun and exciting stories I did, I miss those. <laughs> when I think back to the uh, hard, uh, you know, emotionally draining or uh, just plain hard work stuff, I don't miss that. But <laughs> you know, I remember the deadlines could be you know pretty gut twisting back in the day, and I think it's even worse now as my friends who are still in the business say, you know, the deadline is all the time now. Um, so uh, I do miss parts of it. Certainly miss the newsroom fun. I mean, there, there were times uh, I, we would be on assignments. When I say we, so I'm usually was, was, was with a photographer. Uh, if it was going well, we thought we couldn't believe we were being paid for this when we're having a good time. Um, uh, but that wasn't always the case. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you... Um, um, when you start to when you write in your books, what scenes do you do you have do you find that are more challenging to write than others, or or do you not have uh, an issue with that, like writing? A oh scene? well, that, all the um, all the scenes can be pretty tough to write. Mm. Uh, all of them can be challenging because you want them to be the best they can possibly be and the truest they can possibly be. So you always, I guess, maybe like an actor, you try to find something real, especially if they're emotional scenes that. Uh, you've experienced or you know someone else has experienced in terms of um, uh, making the scene real and making sure you've hit all the right notes and points in a scene. And, you know, um, my wife and my editor, my agent, uh, my wife is my number one editor, um, they'll correct you, you know, well, when you're writing a scene, um, wouldn't someone think about this or they wouldn't say that? Because you don't want the big eye-rolling part of a scene. Uh, you want it to be totally true. Technical stuff is different. Um, that's totally different. That's when it gets a little scary. When you're writing a scene that involves some technical stuff, you've done all your research, but you want your character to be, you know, responding in a way that, you know, you know, when I have a police friend read a book and say, well, we would never, ever do this uh, in the investigation, or, or we would definitely do this, your guy's got to do this. You know, and if it's a problem and I'm really twisting things, I'll say, well, give me an example or a reason why they wouldn't. And sometimes that adds to the drama. Well, you know, if someone's sloppy in their work or someone's got a, another reason to do it a different way, they might suggest this, that sort of thing. And I remember um, one scene that was pretty difficult. I had to, uh, it involved uh, dental stuff. It wasn't so much dental forensics. Um, 
so I, I asked my personal dentist to help me out, and he, he was delighted. He, he told me exactly how it would read. And when I wrote the scene, it was a critical scene. Um, it went quite well, and I got uh, some emails from dental hygienists who said, that was exactly the way it would happen. Said, oh, well, wow. <laughs> that's that, a great compliment. That's always – yeah, that's nice when you hear that. When I Free Fall was a book about aircraft uh, uh, accidents, jetliners crashing around the world, and they were uh, – the storyline in that one was that um, what if you could hijack the, uh, the control systems of a jetliner in flight, which um, – had been raised uh, in some uh, recent tragedies uh, as, a, as a hypothetical, and, and the, the super aeronautical engineers saying, no, they're, they're isolated sites, you can't do it. And, but there was speculation you could do it from the towers. And if you remember after September 11th, there was talk, and I got um, President Bush's speech, where they would, if a plane was hijacked in flight, that the tower could take control from the ground. And you could not you could not control the plane from the air, and they could land it safely. They were exploring that type of technology. Pilots had issues with that, um, as I recall. But that was enough to as a big what if. But what if it could be done? And what if you had um, someone with ulterior motives who were maybe young technical wizards, uh, like a young MIT and uh, Caltech student who uh, were a boy and a girl who were in love with each other. And they were like super geniuses. And one was the daughter of an aeronautical engineer and knew everything. Uh, so I started playing around with that. So I did a lot, a lot of research and work on that one. I had a National Transportation Safety Board uh, retired uh, crash investigator. He he went through some of the stuff with me and was telling me, well, this wouldn't happen, that wouldn't happen. But I, I had enough technical stuff uh, to make it ring true. And I got accident reports of other crashes so that I could sort of fake it, as it were. And then um, uh, one thing I did that I just got carried away with, but it was a lot of fun. I thought, okay, if, if my MIT person is a super genius and I need some technical references to certain systems within the aircraft, uh, what's the top school for aeronautical engineers? And it was MIT. I said, okay, if an aeronautical engineer is going for their PhD, that sort of thing, or a master's degree, uh, what type of exam would they write? So I found the exam online. Now, well, what type of questions would they be asked? So you had all that technical stuff. I found the exam questions, and I went, oh, that sounds – and then it applied to the systems I was talking about. Even though I didn't know what I was doing, I thought, well, that fits. That fits. I had a lot of fun with that. So, uh, And um, one of the compliments I got was a, a couple, uh, a jetliner pilot, commercial airliner pilot, so just read your book. Because there's a few eye-rolling things, but not bad, pretty good. That's all I said, not bad, pretty good. And then another, one of the best ones was uh, – I'm not sure if she was with Delta – or um, uh, one of the U.S. airlines, maybe American, and she sent me an email. She said, I'm a flight attendant, and I forget what airline it was. She said, I was, I was reading your book in flight, and I remember this. As we were coming, but we were making our approach into Dallas, and um, my colleague had to nudge me to make the, um, the pre, uh, you know, the pre-descent pre, um, announcements, because I was reading your book, and I thought, well, you're reading a book about airline disasters on an airline. I, I just struck my head at that one. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good one. I remember that movie Airplane when they're showing the air, airplane crashes on the on the, on the on the TV. Yeah, that's not a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's so 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 fascinating too. Like you were saying, like you, you get started with the what if. Uh, I, I've read that a lot yeah. from other authors too. That it, it all starts with what ifs. I think that's so cool. Oh yeah, um, that's the greatest. 
the spark, I think. Um, uh, another time I was with my family and we were at um, a large harbor front where there was all kinds of, you know, kiosk, commercial, very like a carnival-like atmosphere and and a lot of cruise ships and that sort of thing. And I was with uh, my wife and our two kids This back quite a few years ago. And, you know, we're walking around and they're shopping and I said, well, let's, you know, let's keep it going and we'll just go into the next one. I went to the next one and, and it's crowded and busy. And I turned around, and uh, I couldn't find my family. And I walked around for about five, ten minutes. I could not find them anywhere. And then I did. And I said to my wife, you know, this is... And she goes, and she nodded to all the ships and stuff, said, well, there you go. There's your story. She had to point me to a seed of an idea. And I got thinking about, well, what what if a guy's family disappeared on him for whatever reason and got caught up in a sort of a, sort of a I don't know, north by northwest thing, you know, that the mistaken identity, and they were grabbed, and... So um, that once you got the seed, you get going. It, it can be a lot of fun. All right, Rick. Well, before I let you go, I always like to ask. Oh, one thing I always like to ask is, what tools uh, uh, do you use to write your books? Do you use like Word or some other type of software or anything? Uh, oh, just plain old. I've got to look it up. I think it's Word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got ten. Uh, word ten? Is that is that the word? Is that the program it's called? Oh, yeah, I don't know what version they are now. <laughs> yeah, um, because I had seven. I was so I was way back in the day, and the publisher said, look, you've got to upgrade because we don't deal with that, and we're having all kinds of technical problems. So I, I look, paid, and I think it cost more than the computer because I just had an old thing. So I think that's what I have. I have Word 10. I have an iPad, which I use for travel, but um, I just write on an old cheap uh, uh, PC which I have to actually upgrade pretty soon. It's it's starting to run down on me. But yeah, Word, um, that's my uh, writing process. Uh, and, um, you know, I make notes wherever I go. Uh, I didn't have to when I was younger, but I do now. Because if I, uh, if I have a great idea and I go to sleep, I'll wake up in the morning and my mind is just wiped clean. I go, what? I can't remember that. So yeah. I write them down. Yeah, I hate that yeah. too. You know that you had a good idea, but it's gone. <laughs> oh yeah, I've lost many a book has just disappeared on. So I've got little notepads here and there, and um, and then when I walk um, with the phone too, I'll stop and send a message to myself. That sometimes is the best way. I'll just stop and type type a little message when I'm walking. Go, oh, that's a great idea, and send it to myself, and uh, and and uh, let that uh, you know percolate for a while. And but so, yeah, you're always all the time, uh, all the time. So, and fun. Uh, any advice that you have for aspiring writers who are listening to this right now? Yeah, is uh, just listen to yourself. Um, I mean, I'm very opinionated on a few things. Uh, I did go to one writing group, and um, that didn't work for me. Uh, you don't write by committee. You don't write to seek approval. Write for yourself. Trust trust yourself, and put in the work. Um, I remember when I was writing the first one, I was I was the employee and I was the CEO at the same time. And I, and I, I used to say, you know, if you want to get this done, get up and do it. Because I got up early in the morning when I, back in the day and wrote before I went in to report. Um, I would say, I'm going to pay myself first. I, I, you know, get a few pages in and pay myself because at the end of the day I was tired. So I would get the work done. So so find the time, get the work done. If you want it to, to be uh a serious endeavor, you got to treat it seriously. you got to believe in yourself if you think you have the tools, and you just know in your gut that you do, uh, or you don't. Um, and don't make excuses, you know. Make make sentences. That's the old thing I would say. 
make notes. Don't get caught up in word counts. Don't get caught up in computer programs and all of that. Uh, those are all distractions. It's about people and story and what you believe in and can you go the distance, and you can. Um, and, it, and, when I, and when you get it um, and you want to get inspired, and I used to do this too, go into the public library and stand there. Look at all those books. They were all written by mortals. They all had problems and tragedies. You know, Dostoevsky was writing while his wife was dying in the next room. He was still writing. Uh, you know, uh, Mark Twain, you know, suffered tragedy. They all had tragedies. They all had challenges. Uh, you know, Mary Higgins Clark typing away on her kitchen counter while she was raising kids as a single mom. So um, everyone's got a problem to deal with in their lives, problems. You just got to make this part of your life, that you are going to do it and do it, and do it for the reason that you want to do it. You know, not to the whole sold my first book and it's a movie and a multi-million dollar bestseller. Those are lottery wins. I mean, you know, you're happy for people to do that and a little envious, but um, <laughs> you got to believe in yourself as to why you're doing it and that you can do it and, and it'll get done. If you're not writing, you don't, if you're a true writer, you're not writing every day or working on something, you feel empty inside. There's mm-hmm. the, there's, you just got to do it. And that's how I always felt ever since I was in grade school, just sitting down writing short stories. So that's a long-winded uh uh, seminar on on how to get motivated. <laughs> no, but it's fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much because that's uh, yeah, so much uh, uh, truth in there of uh, getting distracted with fancy softwares and all this. Yeah, it's all just uh, excuses not to write, basically. <laughs> and so the best um, best place for uh, readers to find you online uh, uh, would be your website, rickmofina.com. dot com. Yeah, if they want to start there, um, you know, there's a there's a, the pull downs of all the books and the complete list and. Um, and uh, everything's there. Yeah, you can find me there. Uh, that's the, the website's better than Facebook. I, you know, that's where I interact with people. Um, and uh, Instagram a little bit and Twitter. But if you want to learn more about me, um, Facebook, yeah, or uh, rickmafina.com. All right, Rick. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, I enjoyed it, Al. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Meet the Thriller Author podcast. Be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover great thrilling reads. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.